Council Bluffs so-called Squirrel Cage Jail was built in 1885. The building was of a very rare design that featured a cell block that could actually be turned by the jailer. Using a hand crank, the jailer could rotate the cell block to bring individual prisoners to the front. Escape-proof and efficient, it served 84 years as the Pottawatomie County Jail. The last prisoner was escorted from the building in 1969. There are, however, a number of people that insist the building was never truly vacated at all, that some of those prisoners and jailers remain there today, at least in spirit. Step into our time machine. Real stories of real people. Some good, some bad, some very strange. And all accidentally historic. Hello, thanks for joining us today on Accidentally Historic. I'm your host, Richard Warner. Very, very few jails were actually built that had a cell block that could be turned, just 18 in all. What seemed like a really terrific design fell out of favor almost as quickly as it started when issues over safety and function started popping up. Most of the jails that had been built of this style were fairly quickly condemned and torn down. There are just three left today. One is in Crawfordsville, Indiana, there's another in Gallatin, Missouri, and the biggest one ever built still stands. That's the one in Council Bluffs, Iowa that we're going to be talking about today. This is the only one that had a three-story cell block that turned, and it was also one of the longest in operation. This building served 84 years as the Pottawatomie County Jail. The building is a museum today. You can take a tour, see how the mechanism was designed to operate, and come away with a really good insight as to how law enforcement evolved during that over eight decades the jail was in operation. The building is staged to look just as it did the day the last prisoners left, so you can get a pretty good sense of what being a prisoner there might actually have been like. After dark, it's a completely different group of visitors that come. These folks tend to be armed with all sorts of equipment, like special cameras, recorders, meters, and a tremendous amount of patience. These are the paranormal investigators. There have been quite a number of them recently, and they all appear to come to the same conclusion, that this old jail is a hotbed of paranormal activity. So what is it they're finding, and why is it here? That's what we hope to find out today. We have with us Jason Leemaster. Jason is vice president of the historical society that owns the building. Museum's director Kat Slaughter is along, and we'll also be talking with paranormal investigator Sarah Stream. Sarah is a member of the group Paranormania and also the Paranormal Research Institute. The first thing she tells us is that the decision as to which buildings to investigate for paranormal activity is not at all a random thing. We do a lot of research on the building, on the location that we're going to. Um, a lot of the places we go to investigate are known paranormal locations, so they already have a history of having activity. So um, my teammate, Rob Gray, he is the big history buff. He will dive in and find years and names and everything that's happened in this place. And then I kind of go in blind, so that way we can correlate evidence. So if we get an interaction and um, he knows the history, and then I can try and get an answer or something, and then we can corroborate that way. Sarah and Kat explain the history of the old jail makes it particularly attractive for paranormal activity. I think that this particular building has had such a colorful past. And from my research and experience, I feel like those types of environments tend to house paranormal activity a little bit better. The energy stays. So 
there were a lot of inmates here. Everyone's angry. Everyone wants to get out. And that energy kind of seeps into the walls and it stays there. I guess I'd have to agree because energy cannot be destroyed or created, so it has to stay somewhere. And going through the jailer's records, I'm three years in and I have over 2,000 entries. So in three years, that's a lot of people, a lot of energy to be in the building. Jason Leemaster adds the energy might actually even predate the jail's construction. There's many reasons why they could be coming here. Uh, the site of the building is where the old city morgue was. They tore down the morgue and they built the jail. We have had deaths in the building. There was five documented deaths. There was four inmates and one deputy that was shot and killed. And then we're the historical society. So we have things that have been donated to us over the years. So we have wedding dresses from the 1800s. We have military uniforms from guys that never made it home from overseas. So a lot of energy could be attached to those items. And then of all things, we actually do have some body parts here as well. Um, You've seen people that collected different things over the years. Well, there was an optometrist in the area that collected some some of the most medieval-looking eye equipment I've ever seen. But since he was an optometrist and he did the study of eyes, we have uh, cases and cases of slides that have literal slivers of eyeballs on there. So as far as the paranormal groups getting any activity here whatsoever, um, is it because of the morgue? Is it because of the deaths? Is it because of the items that we house here? It could be any one of those sources. So what kind of things happen that suggest the presence of paranormal activity? Uh, We were here for a public event, and we were just kind of waiting for the night to end, and we were sitting on the third floor on the steps, and we saw something. It's like a little greenish-yellow right up the door. And I even got up and looked. I was like, did a lightning bug get in here? Because it was in the middle of summer. We didn't find anything again for the rest of the night. Yeah, and I think when you're when you're investigating with other people, it's also important to speak up when you see something like that because I almost didn't say anything, and if I hadn't, then I would have never known that Cat saw it either. And then we, the rest of the night, we were sitting there going, "Can you make that light go again?" (laughs) (laughs) We've sat on the stairs a few times now, trying to get that to happen again. I heard footsteps. That was probably the biggest or first one I heard that made it definite to me. I heard them going up the front stairs and actually followed up and didn't find anybody upstairs. And that was in the middle of the day in the afternoon, actually. Um, I've had looked like a small dot of light kind of go across the wall in an area where there shouldn't be any light able to come in and have its own light source. And all the lights were out. Voices when I've been here on my own, as well as when we've had big groups, doors opening and closing, things falling. Uh, things being strange because I like to explain things I really do but there's some things that just don't make sense we had a public event a few years ago and four of us were in the office and you heard something drop upstairs and we were literally the only four people in the building staring at each other there's been uh, a lot of times here that I, I tend to question what what was that and uh, a lot of a lot of times it's just different sounds um, I have noticed that traveling up and down the stairs uh, as often as we do that every once in a while there's just a cold rush uh, there's no rhyme or reason but it feels like there's just a cold sensation and then it's gone and a lot of the paranormal groups say a lot of times that somebody just passed you on the staircase other than that I've heard different things I've seen a few doors open up and And I don't know if it's the age of the building, the way that the building's laid out. I don't know what it could be. A lot of times you have to assume that there's something here. So sometimes one just notices things that can't easily be explained. But sometimes investigators use a variety of special equipment for a more detailed analysis. The the most basic ghost hunting equipment um, obviously are like a K2 meter, which detects electromagnetic fields. Um, Our digital recorders are a really big part of our investigating. 
we've caught some really awesome audio evidence that you can't necessarily hear with your own ears, but it will capture a voice or a whisper on the audio. And then we try and interact with those on the camera. That's really fun. We've just got a whole bunch of different tools. Uh, my teammate Rob is really into the technology, so the meters and the cameras and, and all of that fun stuff. And I kind of get into the weird spiritual things. So I use dowsing rods and a crystal pendulum, and we get really good results that way as well. Certainly an intriguing bit of evidence to suggest otherworldly activity is hearing a whisper when there's nobody else there. Paranormal investigator Sarah Stream has recorded a whisper to share so you can hear for yourself. Listen carefully. We'll repeat the whisper three times. Then Sarah will explain how she captured it. That audio clip was actually during a public event here. We participated in the world's largest ghost hunt. Uh, which was a really cool large-scale experiment. So there were, what, over 150 locations around the world investigating at the same time, doing kind of a, a large scale, trying to get the same answers and communicate on a global scale. We just left our recorder running during the event, and it happened to capture a really awesome EVP. I was just reviewing audio, and I heard it, and I kind of, like, did a little squeal inside. <laughs> um, but sometimes when you do process audio and you review audio, you have to you know, adjust levels and, and make it pop out a little bit more so people can hear it. This one is so clear and so loud, I didn't have to do any of that. From what our guests on the podcast are telling us, it sounds as though the squirrel cage jail in Council Bluffs is positively teeming with ghostly activity. So why is it that some visitors to the jail don't notice anything unusual at all? I think that a lot of it has to depend on your attitude when you go in, um, your willingness and, and how open-minded you are to experience something. I think it, it depends on the person. Uh, we host a lot of public events, and inevitably there's that one guy that came to an event to make his girlfriend happy, right? He's just along for the ride and he doesn't expect to experience anything and he thinks it's all a crock and, and you know why would there be a haunted location and it seems like every time we have somebody like that they have a personal experience and we change their mind for whatever reason I don't know if it's if it's the company they're in everyone else is having a good time and having these experiences and they open up a little bit but it's happened quite a bit over the last two years since we've started doing events, and it's really a cool thing to see. Um, I think that sometimes the spirits are just shy. I know, especially here specifically, the first time we investigated, we didn't get much. We got a, a few little things, um, and it was a good night, but not a whole lot. And then it seems like the more we come back, the more familiar they are with us and the more likely they are to interact with us. I know I've noticed that a lot of paranormal investigators either got into it um, history because they love paranormal investigating. They're always in the historic buildings or vice versa. Have you seen a lot of that as well? Yeah, I think it's a really good mix. Um, I think people either get into it for the history first or the paranormal first. They've either watched the shows and they really want to experience something. And so they go out and they try to experience something or they're really into the location history. Um, I know for my teammate, Rob, he's the location history guy. 
he loves it. He comes here and helps with tours, and he knows the history of this building like the back of his hand. And we went to Gettysburg, and he was our tour guide when we were in Gettysburg. We didn't have to have somebody that was there be our tour guide. And that's just what he loves. Um, I love history, but I got into it for the experience part of things. Uh, I wanted to have an experience. I wanted to know that there was something more out there that I can't explain. And now I want to explain it. <laughs> I've always been interested. I used to read a lot of books when I was younger. And then I watched all the shows and was never going to be involved in any paranormal investigating ever because it was terrifying. So now I'm here and I help with events regularly. As a museum, the building appears to be haunted. But were there any reports of such activity when it was still in use as a jail? Oh, absolutely. So as it was as a jail, the uh, jailer and his family actually lived on site. And so there's an apartment upstairs in the building. And so if any of the uh, the deputies arrested anybody or any of the town marshals, this is before they had a police department, would arrest anybody. There was a, a bell and then eventually a buzzer that you would ring at the front door. That jailer would leave his apartment up in the fourth floor, come all the way downstairs, and then book somebody in. So there was families that lived here, husband, wife, their kids. And so there's kids running up and down the stairs. Even amongst the jailers, there's going to be kids running up and down. Well, there was a lot of families and a lot of wives that refused to live in the upstairs apartment because they would hear strange things. And it wasn't the inmates making noise or anything like that. It was just strange feelings, uh, strange sights, strange sounds where it sounded like somebody was you know, walking right next to you and you know there's nobody there. So over the years, there were several of the jailer's wives that refused to actually live in the building. Is there any potential danger in pursuing the paranormal? Investigator Sarah Stream. There is always that possibility when you're uh, working in the paranormal. And uh, I teach... I teach some um, investigation classes during our events, and one of the things I talk about is protecting yourself. And even just saying, you don't even have to say it out loud, but you know, laying down those rules, you're not gonna follow me home, you're gonna stay here, I'm protecting myself, You know, whatever works best for you. A lot of people um, will sage themselves or their homes. Um, a lot of people have protective symbols or amulets or you know whatever they wear and in the end it really doesn't matter it's all about your intention i feel like they have the ability to travel and potentially follow people there is one <laughs> that follows me around and i have interacted with it in multiple locations even thousands of miles apart um i guess its home base is in malvern at malvern manor i've interacted with it here at the squirrel cage um, I've communicated with it when we were in Pennsylvania at Pennhurst Asylum. It came through some of our devices. I also think that there are some that maybe don't know that they can travel and they are stuck. Ghost stories are fun. So how much of all of this is just a creative imagination? Has anyone tried to find a scientific basis for this so-called paranormal activity? Yeah, I'm actually a, a part of another team called the Paranormal Research Institute. They're based out of a small town by Chicago, but they're bringing in a lot of that hardcore scientific research into their investigations. They've actually got a paper that is published in a peer-reviewed journal in England, and this is just very recently this happened. But what they're doing is one of the members is a parapsychologist from Kansas City, and he has done a lot of research in the past on random number generators and how they can be affected by large-scale events. Globally, they have random number generators running all the time. And then when things like 9-11 or the big tsunami that happened, 
you know, there's this global disaster and somehow the global consciousness is affecting the outputs of these random number generators. The way the random number generator works is it's basically like a digital coin flip. Statistically, you should get about 50-50, right? We've pulled this into investigating by having the number generator running during our investigation, and then we will call in anytime we have a paranormal experience. And we'll correlate the paranormal experience with the random number generator event if it, if it happens within three minutes of each other. And then they do a chide squared analysis, which is a statistical analysis to figure out the probability of whether or not that random number generator event is related to the paranormal experience. And we've gotten awesome results so far. Um, I think the last one, it was like ridiculous, like that it's not a coincidence. A great many paranormal research teams don't just come to the squirrel cage jail once. They keep returning again and again. A lot of paranormal groups come here uh, from around the United States and Canada, and we do have a cell dedicated to them. That doesn't mean there's a lot of paranormal activity in that cell, but we wanted to showcase who these groups are. So there's a cork board in there, and everybody wants to make sure that they get their business card hung up in there and some photos that they've gotten here and stuff like that. We've been investigating here for a little over a year and a half now. And when we first started investigating here, there really wasn't much on the fourth floor that we had experienced. Uh, we experienced a lot down here on the first floor in kind of the common area by the picnic table. But it seems like in the last year, activity in the fourth floor bedroom has just gotten out of control. It seems like every time we go up there, meters go crazy in one particular spot um, and we can't explain it at all. The meters that we use are sensitive to like electrical wiring. So, you know, there was some debunking that we did. Is there wiring in the room? And there's really not any way to explain this activity. And it just keeps happening. <laughs> it's exciting. We're actually looking at doing a long-term research project in that room to see if we can find out a little bit more and building on the research that we have. And, you know, who knows, we may be able to answer some questions, find out new things that nobody ever knew. In addition to the Squirrel Cage Jail, the Historical Society has another property, the Rails West Museum, that also appears to be showing some paranormal activity. Museum's director, Kat Slaughter. It hasn't been investigated as thoroughly, I guess, as the Squirrel Cage. So, I know, some footsteps in one of the train cars, some voices, but it hasn't really been dug into yet. I look forward to seeing what might be there, because each time a team goes there, we find a little bit more. Uh, at Rails West, we... Uh, we got a lot of good evidence in the caboose rail car um, with our SLS camera. So some interaction. Um, my teammate Rob will hold the camera and watch, and I will stand on the camera, and he won't tell me what he sees until I say I'm feeling something or I notice something. We had some really good interaction with an entity that was standing next to me and interacting, like reach out and hold my hand, and it would touch my hand. Um, we also got some audio evidence to go along with that footage. There was some corroborating audio and video there. Let's say you're brand new and just starting into this field. The best advice that I can give is just to put yourself out there and, and start doing it. Um, you know, everybody watches the TV shows, and the TV shows are a lot of hype. Um, they're very dramatic, and a lot of times that isn't accurate. 
So, you know, you can go into a location and sit for 10 hours and get absolutely nothing. And you just sat in a dark room and talked to yourself for 10 hours. Um, but there is some basic equipment. It doesn't cost a lot of money to get started. Get a cheap digital recorder and go find a location and see what you can do. Be open to experiences, but don't think that everything is paranormal. The Historical Society hosts periodic public investigations where everyone is welcome. But if you have your own group and want to investigate one of our museums just yourselves, you're certainly quite welcome to do so. All that information is either on our website or they can email us at the jailinvestigations at gmail.com. The Squirrel Cage Jail is quite literally a one-of-a-kind place, and I would very much encourage you to pay a visit. You can find the museum's location, hours, and all those details on the Society website. We got a link to it in the episode notes for this podcast. We've been talking with Jason Lee Master, Vice President of the Historical Society of Pottawatomie County, Paranormal Investigator and Researcher Sarah Stream, and Kat Slaughter, Historical Society Museum's Director. If you have comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Our contact information is in the episode notes. If you found the podcast interesting, please share it with your friends. And of course, we recommend you subscribe. That way you won't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. The Accidentally Historic Podcast is produced by the Historical Society of Pottawatomie County in Council Bluffs, Iowa. We're on the web at thehistoricalsociety.org and on Facebook at Council Bluffs Revealed. Mariel Wagner is our president. Kat Slaughter, our museum's director. The podcast is narrated by Dr. Richard Warner. If you like the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, AccidentallyHistoric.com, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, please share them with your friends. Local history. Some good, some bad, and some very strange. We'll look forward to sharing more of it with you next time on Accidentally Historic. Accidentally Historic.